Good morning, Connect family. How we doing? Everybody happy, happy, happy? Uncle Phil wants you to be happy, happy, happy. Well, listen, you can get your worship guides out. You can follow us on version if you're interested. Uh, key text that we'll be unpacking today is Romans 12, 3 and uh, Judges chapter 6 if you're in your Bibles. And uh, before we get going and finish, so sad, I hate finishing, but the final installment of Break the Chains is today. Uh, we will embark on a new series next week that you're going to be really excited to, uh, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do this this morning. Um, my wife will be speaking next Sunday, so don't, don't miss it, all right? Don't miss it. She is kicking off the series, um, Real Life, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but don't miss that. Mothers, I also want to highlight, um, actually, I should say husbands, are you paying attention out there? Mother's Day is next week, okay? So you got plenty of notice. I told you so. And so if you get in a fight on Monday, it's your fault. I told you so. Get ready. Next Sunday, we're going to pamper the moms like crazy. And so uh, Sylvia and some of the team have kind of developed a little spa-like atmosphere for the moms. So you don't want to miss that, all right? So if you are a mom, you know a mom, you have a mom, too bad if you have a mom, okay? If you don't have a mom, um, <laughs> we'll pray for you. Everybody has a mom. All right, that's here. Praise the Lord. You're not making any sense, Pastor. So Mother's Day, that's what's going on next week, all right? Back to the series. We're in our final installment of Break the Chains. Here's kind of what's been going on if you're kind of catching up. We've been basically saying that as Christ followers, we can uh, and do oftentimes have these particular struggles with ourselves. Um, we've referred to them, uh, uh, scripturally they're referred to as bondage or, or you could say chains. Uh, the Apostle Paul referred to it like being in prison in Romans chapter 7. And um, as a believer, you can still be in bondage. Just because Jesus did all that he did for us doesn't mean that you uh, are necessarily free. Even though he did what he did so you could be free, we might still have a lid over the can. The grasshopper can't get out even though it's capable the elephant might still have a chain on its ankle, and even though it's strong enough and powerful enough to break free, sometimes it doesn't. And we as Christians, even though whom the sun set free is free indeed, sometimes we're not walking in that freedom, and we've been talking about how to apprehend that freedom and walk in that freedom. And in week one, uh, we kind of got into some particulars. We talked about addictions. Everybody say addictions. And nobody likes that word because it's, especially if it's applied to ourself, because we don't want to say, I have an addiction or I'm an addict. Um, because we classically, um, you know, categorize addictions as these majors, you know, drugs and alcohol and sex addictions and abuse and all those kind of things. But the truth is that anything that we cannot master, anything that's got control in us and we keep on doing it and we don't want to do it and we keep on doing it and we know it's wrong, that's an addiction. And Romans 7 basically uh, unpacked that and we, we looked at behind every addiction um, are some issues. One of the issues is, you know, the truth is, we don't really want to change our life. We just want to change our circumstances. I don't, I don't want to, um, I, I, want to, I want to lose weight. I just don't want to stop eating. So, so we, we, have some, we have some issues. And, and, and one of the root issues with, with addiction is idolatry. Everybody say idolatry. That there, there's these other gods. And, and, and God's okay with us having other loves. But when it becomes above him, that becomes another god. It becomes an idol. And we had to tear down that idol. And, then, and not in week two, but in week three, we kind of had a current event we talked about in week two. But in week three, we talked about depression. 
uh, kind of one of the um, you know, silent killers. And um, we, we studied the life of Jeremiah. And, and one of the root issues of depression, and again, this is a huge subject, and I had one Sunday to talk about it, and I understand that I can ruffle little feathers sometimes, but I know a lot of people got set free on that particular Sunday. And, and, but one of the root issues of depression is purposelessness. We are not living our life with intentionality. We don't have a purpose. We don't have a plan. We don't have a principle. We are not living with an agenda in our life. And so success is not in a day. It's in our daily agenda. And we, we talked about how to get free and, and get over that. And then last Sunday night, how many were here last Sunday night? SNL, raise your hand, good and high. Was that an awesome service or what? Okay, so God showed up. That's all I'm saying. And so um, it's like whatever happens after that, who cares? Uh, I'm with that. Sign me up for some more of that. But we, we talked about kind of how to get free in three easy steps. And, and, and one of the things we saw is the number one obstacle to getting free is admitting we have a problem. That's really the number one obstacle in getting free is not actually getting free. It's getting to the place where we realize we have a problem. We, ha- we, all, we have issues. Do you guys know you have issues? Yeah. If you don't think you have issues, then what? That's your issue. Right. Good. You guys are well trained. All right. Anyway, today we're going to discuss another major bondage in the Christian experience, and that is called dum 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 insecurity. Insecurity. Everybody say insecurity. This is kind of personal. Uh, I could have probably told stories the whole morning on, on insecurity myself, um, but the truth is everything in my life, everything in your life, it's a byproduct of how I see myself, how you see yourself, how how God sees you, how you see God. It's, it flows out of identity. And one of the things that I prayed for you guys and, 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 about, and this is kind of a term that um, I know there's nothing new in the sun, and somebody probably came up with this before me, but I never heard this term used before, but is, is God glasses. We, we all, you know, um, sometimes have vision issues. And um, lately, I don't like to admit this, but I've been struggling a little bit with my eyesight. And I'll be pulling things back and doing like this kind of stuff. And my kids are like looking at me like, Dad, wow, he's getting old. And, um, and I've always had laser eyes, just laser. So it's, I'm not, I'm, I, like I said, I'm having a hard time with this, you know. So, but, but in, in, as, it, as it relates to our, 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 ourselves, our own personal identity, we need to put on glasses. We need, we need like some course correction. We need to see through his lens. We need to see through the eyes of faith because he sees us very differently than we see ourselves. And so this message is for those who kind of secretly struggle with themselves. Maybe all of yourselves. That's some great English. Maybe it's part of you. Maybe it's categorical. Maybe you struggle with, you know, in, in ways with inferiority or with condemnation, you know. Or maybe you struggle with just a feeling like you don't measure up or there's just kind of just a lid on your life. Maybe you wish you were a little taller, smaller, you know, uh, stronger, you know, smarter, more intelligent. Um, you could sing, speak, whatever. Carry the cool factor. I don't know what it is, but maybe there's something that you think you fall short of. And this message is fundamentally about how to have a solid, strong identity in Christ. And the enemy is a master at stealing our identity. ID theft is his specialty. He's really good at getting the real you and flipping it and giving you a false you, uh, a false ID. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the Good News Translation says this. It's in your notes. Be careful how you think. Everybody say, how I think. Be careful how you think. That's your self-assessment, how 
you defined yourself. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Your life is shaped by the way you think. And many are of our thoughts, uh, um, the, out, the, the thoughts are influenced by certain conditions. One of the conditions, the first one in your notes, is culture. Culture conditions us. Culture, oftentimes, we allow it to define us. Culture says, this is just one example that we could highlight, is culture says, if you're good looking, if everything looks good on the outside, you'll be accepted. You're in. You're in. And, and our, there is a massive, we are inundated through media, et cetera, to, with a preoccupation on the external. And, the, and this is wrong. And that's why we need to be together as believers because we need to get God's perspective on things. And we need to see the way he sees things because the world is constantly conditioning us to believe that the outside needs to be made perfect while we continuously ignore the inside, the, inward, the inner man, our inward health. Because God doesn't look at outward appearances. He doesn't see that. He sees our heart. He sees our character. He's, he's a good daddy. Can I have an amen out there? But we, unfor- we unfortunately idolize people on the external perfections of their life. I was in a grocery store just recently, and I was seeing a magazine. You know the magazines that are there. You, you just can't help but look at it. And I just laugh and chuckle at them. And, and, uh, but anyway, one of the magazines, I think it was at a grocery store, but it said, the most beautiful woman in the world, 2013, I think, Gwyneth Paltrow. Now, she, I'm not going to lie. She's a pretty girl. My wife's way prettier. But, but, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, ding, that's our little sign, you know, I have to get a lot of dings. Um, <laughs> I, that's a, I got stuff going through my mind, but it's marriage retreat material. But anyway, um, Gwyneth Paltrow, that picture that we're seeing, we're seeing her all, you know, you know, it's prepped and primped and, and just everything just, you know, made perfect and, and, and airbrushed, etc. you know. It's not real, a lot of those things are just not real. I mean, you can prep and prep and airbrush this, and I look pretty good. You're like, man, you can put an earring and a, you know, a nose ring and a pig and put lipstick on it, but it's still a pig, Pastor. doesn't make a difference. Anyway, it reminds me of a story that this lady, she went to church, and she went to a church much like this, and there was a person that was there, a really strong, mature Christian, and they had like a prophetic word, not pathetic, prophetic word for this person, a personal prophecy. And the prophecy was, you're, this woman was 60 years old. She said, you're going to live... 40 more years. She was like, "Woo! 40 more years? That's incredible. Uh, if I'm going to live 40, I received that word. She received that word. She left. She said, if I'm going to live 40 more years, then I'm going to have to make some improvements. You know, so I'm going to have to do something. So she went and saw a doctor for this, and she saw a doctor for that, and she went and she got, you know, all kinds of stuff done. She got implants. She got Botox. She got, she got all kinds of, you know, frosted hair. I don't know, all these different things that were going on, and facelifts, and surgical this, and tummy tuck that. Anyway, when she was all done, all that, are you guys tracking with me? She's just feeling pretty good about herself, totally recovered. She Day one, goes out into the real world, gets in her car, gets in a fatal car accident, dies, goes to heaven, opens her eyes, first words out of her mouth, God, you promised me 40 more years of my life. He looks down and he says, I didn't recognize you. (laughs) I don't care, that's funny, I don't care what you say, that's funny. My bad. See, we, we let culture define us. The next thing is we let our past define who we are. We let our past define who we are, all right? Our past, we, we're living, looking in the rearview mirror. We live 
looking in the rearview mirror instead of through the front windshield. And God is not, you know what? He's not interested in our past. He, only want, he, he not only wants to forgive and cleanse you, he actually, this is, this is what he's interested in with regards to your past, in redeeming it. And turning it around and leveraging it, catapulting it, not boomeranging it. If you're tracking with that, that was kind of funny too. He's not trying to throw it so that it comes back. He is wanting it to go forward, fail forward. And we let negative words define us and, and, and kind of uh, interpret us. And some of you still live in environments where you hear junk about that kind of stuff all the time. You have people that are important to you. Could be parent influences, bosses, coaches, whatever, and they've said things to you or about you that are demeaning, they're destructive to you behind your back. As a result, you you live through the the lens of those those tragic um, you know words, and they, and they brand and they tattoo you. It reminds me of a story of the guy who was he was at the tattoo artist and 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 he and he went. Uh, you know, uh, and there was this guy already there, and he was getting a tattoo on his arm. And on, and on, the t- on, the, on his arm, it said, he was tattooing into his arm, born to lose. And so the guy that was getting ready to go next says, why would you tattoo something like that onto his arm? To which the tattoo artist said, it was already on his mind. I'm just putting it on the outside. It was already there on the inside. See, that, because words do that to us, because things that people have said about us and people reminding us always of our past and the person we were instead of the person we are in the economy of God. And so God doesn't see what you've done. He is the best father. He sees our potential. He sees our future. But as long as we go around branded and tattooed by all that stuff, it will, it will control you. It will dominate you and it will keep you from God's plan in your life. Can I have an amen out there? And so you'll never see real change until you can look in the mirror and you can just go, good job, God. Good job. Good job. Thank you. The question is, why do I see myself that way and and what can be done about it? And so I want to unpack a scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, for you. And I read this kind of with new and fresh eyes and kind of just um, spent some time on this. And and basically, um, I looked at this this particular verse and looked at some words in the Greek. And here's here's what's cool about the Greek, okay? You may not realize this, but the the New Testament originally, primarily was written in in Greek. And, And the Greek language is four times more descriptive than the English language. And so when you get an English word, most of the time it does a pretty good job describing something, but sometimes it is insufficient um, or, or not completely and totally comprehensively uh, what is really meant to be said there. And so sometimes you can look behind things and see a lot more. So Romans 12, 3, this is what it says. Do not think of yourself more highly. Everybody say more highly. More highly. In other words, it's, it's, it, it, what's coming up here is it's a different word than you think. It's not, don't think of yourself as all that. No, it's not what he's saying there. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober. Everybody say sober. Sober, that's not what you think it is either. <laughs> Don't think yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So highly sober faith are kind of three words I want to unpack. The first word, highly, all right, here's what that means, okay? In the Greek, the word is hupofruneo, hupofruneo, and it basically means this, okay? It means it's an improper view. It's an improper view view. It means you have a bad view of yourself. It literally means you're not in your right mind, buddy. You're not in your right mind. It means you bought an idea that is affecting the inside of you that's now manifesting on the outside. Someone or something has convinced you of something that is not true. It's gotten into you, and now it's affecting the outside of you. Are you tracking there? Now, sober, the word sober has the same Greek 
root word. The, the word there in the Greek is sofruneo, sofruneo. And it means this, having a right mind. So the first one's an improper view, how you see. And the second one is having the right mind. It literally means being in your right mind. And, if it, and, and what's cool about this word and what's cool about it, when you, when you, when you get some kind of uh, study tools for the Bible, you'll realize that it's not enough to kind of get into your Greek lexicon or your, your, your biblical dictionary and kind of un- unpack a word. But another way to kind of see the full nuances of a word is you have to see that word in another text within Scripture, the same Greek word used someplace else. And when you see the context of it, you understand the word even more. Are you tracking Everybody with me? So you're like, wow, he's really getting biblical on me. Mm-hmm, this is church. Okay, and so another instance where that word sofruneo is used, being in your right mind, is Mark chapter 9. You don't have to look there, but you can put it out somewhere in bonus material. Mark 9, 17 and following through 26. We, we talked about this at Sunday Night Live. And we were talking about the, the boy, the demoniac, who the disciples could not set free. And, and this guy came and says, my son, he's, he's, you know, throws himself into fires, and he's convulsing, and he's gnashing of teeth, and he really has some problems, God. And so your disciples couldn't do anything about it. And Jesus was kind of upset with his disciples, you know, kind of gave him a look, like, what's your problem? And so then he goes over to talk to the parent, and when he goes over to talk to the parent, this, this, demoni- this demoniac, this boy, just starts convulsing and freaking out. Which, by the way, just before you're always getting ready to get free, the devil will always make a last stand. That's what we talked about on Sunday night. So this, this boy's just going, la, 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 and Jesus is just there peeling an apple, hmm, talking to the parents. Now, how long, how long has he been this way? You know what I mean? Because Jesus is not nervous about whatever, whatever the enemy's doing, all right? He doesn't need a running start to deal with this. He's okay with it. Are you tracking with me? And he just says, bring the boy to me, and he, and he sets that boy free. And when that boy comes free, the word that's used to describe his state of mind is sofruneo. He's been set free. He has, he's in his right mind. Are you tracking with me? Which means in order for us to have, uh, uh, to have the right perspective, to have the right thinking, sometimes we need deliverance. We need to be set free. It is a spiritual problem. It's, it's is very um, consistent with the whole series idea is that this isn't an outside-in problem. This is an inside-out problem. And some of the deliverance comes from is the truth that you know will set you free. You have to know it. You have to see it right. And then we use what we just saw in communion here. We use the power that's in the name of Jesus to surgically remove the lie so that the truth can then get rooted and embedded in our life. Are you tracking with me? That's kind of what deliverance is, and that's what we did a little bit of on Sunday night. But so, so for Neo, he was in his right mind. And so the word literally means more than we think. In fact, it might mean we need, again, some kind of deliverance in order to get in our right mind. So here's the point. Many have wrong thinking, Romans 12, 3, and instead you might need right thinking, superphoneo, and then you need to be set free with the measure of faith that God has given you. So what's that last word about, that measure of faith? He's not talking, when you think faith, we automatically just define it and go, that means to believe. Yeah, we got to believe. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, just believe. What does that mean anyway? Just believe. You know what I mean? Just believe. It needs, don't you think it needs a little bit more than that? <clears throat> it literally means this. It means the faith you need comes from the assurance you have in the relationship you are in with God. And because you're so sure of the relationship with God and you know 
uh, who he is. You also know how he feels about you. Then you have security and confidence in that connection. You have faith. Are you tracking with me? So now let me rewrite that verse. This is scary. Just take this as a paraphrase, all right? But here's kind of unpacking it. Romans 12, 3. Think about this. Don't have an unhealthy view of yourself. Read the verse while I say it to you. Don't, don't, don't read it out loud. Just read along. Don't have an unhealthy view of yourself, but rather be set free from the wrong view. And let God give you right thinking by being assured of who he is and what he believes about you. Can I have an amen out there? I'm preaching up here in my buckle shirt. You guys need to respond a little bit. Okay? So the root cause of some of the problems we have with regards to insecurity is, is our thinking. Our thinking and how we view things. All right? So now here's kind of, so I want to I give you a big idea, uh, the root cause and the solution at the same time. So the big idea is this. If you see right, then you'll be right. If you see right, you will be right. Pretty simple, isn't it? If your assessment of you is based on culture, people, anything other than what God says, you won't be right. So how do we, so how do we build that? How do, we, how do we establish a strong identity? You guys want to hear how to do that? All right, we're going to look at a story from Judges chapter 6, uh, a famous story about the life of Gideon. I love this particular story. It's one of my favorite stories. It has a lot of relevance to me, uh, and I think you as well. Let me read Judges 6, 11 through 24, kind of paraphrase a little bit. Uh, follow along with me, all right? This is good stuff. Don't let the enemy steal from you in Jesus' name. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. Oh, Oprah, that was right before she started her TV program. <laughs> that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? And when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked again, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Everybody say together. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it... Uh, the, called it the Lord is peace. So here's what happened. Exactly what the scripture says is exactly what happened. He kind of gets this band of 300 men through an extraordinary set of circumstances, kind of a small um, army, and they go and uh, just plunder the enemy. 135,000 people, these 300 guys, wipe out, if you can imagine that. And for the first time in seven years, they experience peace. And then for the next 40 years, under the leadership of Gideon, they enjoy peace and rest. In fact, he does such a great job. There was so much success. They wanted to make uh, Gideon a king. And that's all cool. That's the after. But I want to talk about the before the after. Because the thing that makes me uh, motivated, the thing that helps me grow and overcome my own insecurities is to see what was this guy like before the after? What was really going on under the hood? What is there that was, you know, in the building of such a mighty warrior? What did God see in him that he doesn't see in me? Does anybody track with me? So here's the context. 
Israel, this is what's going on in this story. Israel's in a predicament, as usual. The Midianites are terrorizing them. The whole book of Judges is just this massive, vicious spin cycle of sin. Israel's on and off again, on and off again. Obey, disobey, obey, disobey. And every time Israel would get off track, constantly disobeying God, then God would allow a foreign nation to come in. He would allow it. He didn't cause it to oppress the people, and, 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 and he would leverage it to get their attention. And then the people of God would cry out, oh, God, save us, save us. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. And then God would send a deliverer. The deliverer was known as a judge. Everybody say judge. Not like Judge Judy like you're thinking of. No, judge was like a precursor to a king. They were a leader. They were a deliverer. And one of the most, arguably the most, famous judge was Gideon, okay? But before this incredible stuff happens, Gideon had to have an encounter with his own insecurity. Before any of this incredible stuff in his life would happen, he had to encounter his own insecurity. And, and Gideon's story uh, is, is so relevant to our lives. In this story, he's actually, the before, scared to death. Scared to death. He's threshing wheat, uh, but he's doing it in a wine press. A wine press is just a pit. Okay, everybody say pit. It's just, it's, it's, and, and when you're threshing wheat, you're not supposed to be doing it in a pit. You're supposed to be doing it above ground, pitchfork into the wheat. You kind of throw it up, and when you throw it up, all the, you separate the chaff, the useful from the unuseful, and the wind carries it away, and the good stuff stays. But you, you can't do that really good in a pit. But he's doing it in a pit because he's so intimidated, he's so insecure, he's so scared, he's afraid the Midianites are going to take what food he has left. And so he's playing it safe, down there in the wine press. Are you tracking with me? And this is the picture of what most Christians do. We play it safe down in our wine press. Most Christians do. We hide. We don't want to risk doing something for God because we don't want to risk failing for him. And there's no return without risk. There's no faith that isn't tested, can't be trusted. We know if we try, we might fail, so we stay in the wine press, we play it safe. This is the reality of most of Christianity. That's why very few great things are done in the economy of God anymore, because we're so insecure. This is relevant to all of us. And here's the backstory. I like verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord, let me encourage you, the angel of the Lord sat down. Everybody say sat down. That's what you read just a little while ago. I love this little detail because what's cool about this is Israel's nervous. Israel's in upheaval. Israel's problems are urgent. Israel is like hitting the panic button. It's code red. And the angel of the Lord shows up and sits down. You know what I like about this? Is he's not nervous when we're nervous. He's not all afraid when the enemy's attacking. He don't need no running start to knock him down. He's not worried about some kind of debt ceiling over the economy. He's not worried about what's going on in Congress. He's not worried about what's going on in Korea. He's not worried about what's going on in your personal life. He's not nervous. The, the angel of the Lord can just sit down and see your situation. You need to realize that. That should encourage you that he's not all scared about what's going on. In fact, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God right now looking at our situation and our circumstances. He's not shaking about what's going to go on, what's happening today. Are you getting this picture? And from that place, you know, he, he calls Gideon by a different name that totally surprises him. And he says, uh, you are, the Lord is with you, Gideon. You are a mighty warrior. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a mighty warrior. Turn to your other choice and say, you're a mighty warrior too. 
Why? The question is why? Why would he call a wimp in a wine press a mighty warrior? Why? Well, what, what we have here is a classic case of contradiction. You've got a huge discrepancy between what God sees and what Gideon sees about himself. And so how is that possible that Gideon sees himself one way and God sees him another? I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is the pit. The pit completely throws off our perspective. You and I need to get to higher ground in order to be able to see things right. You and I need to go to higher places in order to be able to see things right because when you're in the pit, listen, I'm going to say something profound. When you're in your pit, when you're in your pit or in the pit, everything is pitiful. That took me a long time to come up with that line. It's pitiful. It's really pitiful. That's deep, I know. But anyway, perspective precedes progress. You will not progress until you have right perspective. But when you're in the pit, everything's pitiful. I see y'all, as my wife would say, I see y'all, but all you see is me. You see the, 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 the back of the head of the person in front of you. I have a different perspective than you. It doesn't make me better than you, but I'm better off because I have a different perspective than you. When I go, when I go on flights and you get on a plane, sometimes I don't like to listen to pilots because I feel like they say the same thing over and over again. But occasionally you get one of these like veteran uh, pilots and they'll get on the intercom and they'll kind of give you a little uh, tour of the skies. And when you start approaching a certain city, they might say, okay, uh, attention uh, frequent flyers. I just want to let you know that uh, we've got Lady Liberty over here on the left-hand side, if you notice, just coming right up here around the corner. And I'll be looking out and I can't see Lady Liberty, but he can see it. He's, he's sitting in a different seat than me. His scope and his vantage point is much wider than me. Not only that, he's tr- he's, he's, he sees what he's trained to see. So you need a different position to see things right, and you'll see things right when you're trained to see things right, which means we can have a different vision, and we can train our eye to see different things. And eventually, if I'll just listen to that pilot, oh, there's Lady Liberty, I get it. Oh, there's the runway, praise God. Okay? You understand what I'm saying, everybody out there? When I, when I just a, 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 a practical example. There's something, when, I, when we come into uh, flying into the Boston area, I sometimes look out the window and begin to pray for our city. You know? It's, can I just tell you how different it is to pray for your city from up there than it is down here? It's very different. Interesting. Perspective's everything. Our vantage point matters immensely. The essence of insecurity is seeing things from a pitiful perspective. It's all about altitude. Tell your neighbor, you need to change your altitude. I didn't say attitude. I said altitude. Some of you took liberty there. But God is saying, God is saying to you, he's saying to me, I know how you feel right now, Gideon. I know that that, that you you may feel differently. You feel like a, a wimp in a wine press, but I see a mighty warrior. I see what you don't see because I sit in a different seat as I see you. And it makes all the difference in the world. And think about this. I wrote this in my notes. If there's a difference between the way God sees me and the way I see myself, then I'm the one who needs my eyes straightened out, not him. I'm the one who needs something pulled out of my eye that's blocking my vision. I'm the one who needs glasses. I'm the one who needs LASIK surgery, not him. He sees right. And when we exalt our vision above his vision, that's bad. That's really bad. Here's three things that have to happen to have that right identity. Number one, you got to see God correctly. Are you getting something out of this? 
you got to see God correctly. Your relationship with God is directly affected by your view of God. It might be your parenting growing up, a performance-based parenting maybe, or certain conditioning where you're growing up. Your, your, your parents were always mad, so you think God's mad. Maybe it was religious environment, the way you grew up in a religious environment. You know, it's just all it's just law and legalism and rules and this and that. And so you viewed God a certain way. And there was a time in my life where that was true of me. You know, I, 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 I have friends that grew up in very religious environments, you know, and legalistic environments. And they, you know, if you had long hair as a guy, you would get, like, ridiculed. Ridiculed. You know, if you have, that's why I got short hair right now. You didn't know that? Your hair's too long, sit in your heart. Get it cut today, get a brand new start. Nobody ever heard that song? Anyway. Live a life of sin and dread, the tangled mess upon your head. Anyway, I'll get out of that. But religion does that to us. It kind of it, it convinces us of something that's not true, and it keeps coming on us and coming on us. And so what I would do is I would just pretend. I would pretend because I don't want to go to hell. I didn't want to, you know, they kept telling me, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, if you do this, if you do that, if you, do that you, you know, you're gonna, you need fire insurance, you know? And so religions lie to us. God is not mad at us. God loves us. God, God all, the, all the full wrath of God has been satisfied in the life of Jesus. He's not mad anymore. He loves you and he sees you as clean. He loves you, Jeremiah says, with an everlasting love. Psalm 59 says, my God is changeless in his love for me. Until you believe that, you can never, never believe what he says about you. Your relationship with God is so dependent on your view of him. Number two, see myself the way God sees me. See myself the way God sees me. You can't let culture define that for you or people define that for you. you got to see yourself the way God sees you. If you're in right relationship with God and what he says about you will change you. I'll tell you a story real quick. I, I, when I was in college, this is a lot of, long, long time ago. But there was a, a, a strong spiritual leader. His name was Chris Davis. And I had great admiration for him. And every time I got around this particular person, I felt con- the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He was a very godly man. At least, at least that was my estimation. And he was one of those guys where if you got around him, you just felt like, you know, he was looking into my soul. You know what I'm saying? And could see your deepest, darkest secrets. And, and, um, and so I kind of, I didn't like being around him that much. But at the same time, I was attracted to him and, you know, to his godliness. And he, every time he'd get around, he could just get a minute with me, he would speak life into me. He goes, Derek, there's great things in store for you. Derek, I see some things that you don't see in yourself. And there was always an encouraging word. Well, but I still scared him, scared to death, because I had so much insecurity. And so one day he came by my room, and, and he knocked on my door. And uh, I, 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 somebody told me that he was going to be coming by. And so I, I, I played possum. I, I hid my wine press and covered my sheets over, uh, over myself. And I shut my light off, pretended I was asleep. And so I'm sucking my thumb and my wine press down there because I just don't want to be, I don't want to go face to face with this guy, toe to toe with this guy. And he knocks again and finally he just opens the door and he rolls on and he's, he's a paraplegic. He rolls right in on his wheelchair. He comes by my bed and I could feel him like kind of touch my bed and seeing if I was awake. Derek, Derek. And I just laid there like a possum, sucking my thumb in my wine press, you know, just plain dead. It's a great tactic, by the way. Anyway, he eventually, he kind of steers away, he goes over to my desk, and he pulls out a, a pad and paper, and he writes something on it, and then he sticks it up on the wall, and he turns the light on, goes out, shuts the door, and I get out of my wine press, and I go over to that door, and I lock that door, come back over, shut that light on, and I look at that note, and it says, Derek, uh, I've been meaning to tell you this for the longest time, I just want to talk to you, but you're going to be a world changer for God. You're going to be a world changer for God. That was 25 years, 20-something years ago. I, never, I haven't forgotten that to this day. I remember being at a, at, a, at a church meeting with my father and, and, and my girlfriend at the time. That sounded really weird. Um, and, 
And, and it was a big meeting. It was about, um, about, about 8,000 8, people. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying it to make a point. And I'm there, and I, this insecurities, all kinds of struggles in my life. And this guy says, you young man with the, with the blue shirt and the maroon tie, I want you to come down here. God has a word for you. And he, and he calls me out of the crowd and pulls me down front. And he says, you know, the prayers of people that have been praying for you for many, many years, they've all caught up with you right now. There's a hand that's great that's upon you, and there's greatness within you. There's greatness within you. I'll never forget that. Those are the kind of words. And God has spoken words to you. Maybe not that way, the same way. He's spoken words to you through his word. His word is a more sure word of prophecy. It is a, it is a guarantee. It's not seen through a glass darkly. It's not seen through the imperfections and frailties of man. It is direct for you and me. And we need to hang on to what God's word says about us and not what someone or something else says about us that is a contradiction to his word. Can I have an amen out there? Amen. And one day... Not completely. I still hear the whispers of insecurity at times, if I'm totally honest with you. But I got set free from that demonic thinking, and I know who I am in Christ. And so, so if, you, if you were to, I, I've had this happen. I'm sure you've had this happen. Somebody tap you on the shoulder, and they say, oh, sorry, I thought you were someone else. You know what you can do to just freak them out? You say, I am someone else. <laughs> I am someone else. I'm not who you think I am. I'm a different person. I'm a child of God. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the tail. I'm the head. I'm chosen. I'm a royal priest to the holy nation. I'm the called of God. I may not be qualified, but I'm called. Amen? That's what you need to say. I am someone else. I am someone else. Ever since my kids were little, I've told them their whole lives things that would build their identity. My, my wife and I were always trying to build their identity, give them a strong, because we know it's, everything flows from identity. And, and with my daughters in particular, I can remember raising them and just telling them, you know, and, and, and my son, before they go up to school, remember who you are. Remember you're a fry, because we want them to have a healthy family dynamic, identity, and remember that you're a child of God, first and foremost. And they go off, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. They go off to school every day like that. You know, and then, and then to build their, their self-worth and give them a good self-image, I would say to my daughters, say, do you know how beautiful you are? How did you get so beautiful, honey? How did you get so beautiful, Mallory? She'd say, God made me that way. We taught her to say that, you know? But initially, I used to say, Mallory, you're the most beautiful girl in the whole world. When she was like five years old, I said, you're the most beautiful girl in the whole world. One time down here in Pleasant Street, I heard her arguing with her cousin. I said, well, I tried to come down the hallway. I tried to figure out what's going on. And, and Madison, I mean, uh, Mallory and Ashton are arguing. Who's the most beautiful? I'm the most gorgeous, Mallory said. I'm the most gorgeous girl in the world. And I thought, Mallory, 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 we got to tone that down. I said, Mallory, you can't say this. She said, but Daddy, you told me that. So then I thought, you know, how do I communicate in such a way that will build her identity but not make her feel like she's better than anyone else. I said, honey, if somebody says, you know, to you, um, how did you get so beautiful or what made you so beautiful or who told you you're so beautiful? She, I said, you can just say, my daddy says I am. My daddy says I am. That changes everything because now I'm not demeaning someone else, but now I'm still holding on to a strong identity in Christ. If someone asks you, do you think you're beautiful? You just say, my daddy says I am. Who made you so perfect? God made me that way. My daddy says I'm perfect. That doesn't have to do anything with you. It has everything to do with your heavenly father. It's not false humility. It's confidence in God, not in the flesh. You might say, well, I'm not like that. I'm not that pure. I'm not that beautiful. I'm not that perfect on the inside. Well, 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you're not like the world, for you have been chosen by God himself. You're not a wimp in a wine press, in other words. You're a priest of the king. You're holy and pure. You're God's very own. All this so that you may show to others how God called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
It's so important that you see yourself right. It's important to know that insecurity is actually the ultimate insult of God. Insecurity is, is it's false humility. We sometimes think it's humility. It's actually pride in disguise. Insecurity says, is trying to say that the problem is with the product, but insecurity is actually saying the problem is with the manufacturer. You're saying by your insecurity that God did something wrong. He made something wrong, and God don't make no junk. He don't make no junk. And so it's pride to say that. And that's that's what Gideon did in verse 13. He said, but sir, but sir... If the, Lord is, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders? But now the Lord is this. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I'm the least in my family. Gideon, I wrote this in my notes, he makes a butt sandwich. At the beginning of the verse, he says but, and the end he says but, and all in between he's got if, when, why, where. He's got all these questions of God. And and God is trying to get something through to Gideon by first shifting his mentality in order to help him see it's not about him. It's not about his clan. It's not about his his heritage in the world. It's about his heritage and identity in Christ. It's about God's power, his presence, his person. And when he finally had that encounter and he accepted what God said about him and there was a process that he went through, you can read it on your own. You can skip ahead to Judges chapter 8. You see a totally different person in one week. Gideon's entire life was changed because he saw right he could be right. One week. You say you could change your whole life in one week? Yeah, I think you could do it right now this morning if you could see right. Yes, you could. In one week, he went from wimp in a wine press to chasing all his enemies. Even after he had all the big dogs, he starts chasing all these guys out because he wants to get every single one of them. And while he's going through that, one of his own teammates, he comes along and says, I'm hungry. Can you give me some food? They said, no, we're not going to give you any food. He says, I remember that. Then he goes to another guy and says, we're hungry. We're chasing these guys down. Can you give us some? We're not going to give you any food. He goes, I remember that. Look at what happens. I'm just going to paraphrase verse 4 to you in chapter 8. It says, Gideon, let your 300 men, they do this different stuff. And he says to these guys, just for that, when the Lord gives me these guys in my hands, I'll tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. And then later on he says, I'm going to tear down your tower so it falls on you. Listen to this. This is the wimp in the wine press who later on becomes a smack-talking, name-taking, UFC-fighting, MMA warrior in a week. Why? Because he could see right, he could be right. He accepted what God said about him, not what man said about him, but what he thought about himself. Woo, I hope you could just get a glimpse of what God sees about you and me. But if you want to live in your but, if, when, where, why, but guy, we're going to stay in the wine press. Number three, my last point, I'm way over time. Get around people who see me the way God sees me. And this is some of my wife would say, y'all's problem. You get worked up in here and Pastor D, woo, he's really great. He's preaching and it set you straight. And then you get around other people in just a few short minutes that tear you down, stress you out, set you off. To make this stick, you got to get around the right people. You get around positive people. Can you handle a little bit more preaching right now? I can remember when my sister and I were growing up, we'd go up to Maine to see my grandparents. I love, I love my grandparents. They're, they're both gone. Both went home to be with the Lord. My grandfather went very early. My grandfather, we would have a huge meal at the kitchen table. And uh, um, he, would, he would leave that. He would go into his food coma. And he'd go down to his chair, his power chair, and he'd lay back and pull that chair back. And his big old belly, I called it a human bicep. It just had this big old belly. 
the reason I call it a bicycle is hard as a rock. I mean, if you hit that thing, you'd get hurt. And he'd just fall asleep, and he would go into a deep sleep. Well, one time, my sister and I, we got some cheese from my grandmother, this cheese. And I don't know if it was Limburger cheese, but it was some smelly, 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 smelly cheese. And he had, like, this scruffy little beard, and we put some of that cheese under his nose right here. So while he's sleeping, <sighs> And it starts waking him up, and it was just awesome. And Janelle and I, <laughs> oh, my gosh, oh, I think he's going to wake up. We pretend we were asleep. And then he'd just go, oh, oh, Finally, he's like, and he calls my grandmother, Mame. Mame, what's that smell? You know, what's that smell? And she couldn't hear him. So he gets, he gets up, and he's kind of in a fog, and he goes in the kitchen. What stinks in this room? And Janelle and I were out in the den. We're just dying, dying, laughing. Comes back on the den. We pretend we're asleep. He's like, something stinks in here. That's what I'm seeing. And he goes in several rooms. You can hear him. Something stinks. Something stinks. Finally, he goes out into the, car, the, the, uh, the driveway, opens the door, and goes, the whole world stinks. <laughs> some of y'all got some people in your life who got attitudes like that. Where the whole world stinks. And you got to get around the right people that see you the way God sees you. And get around, get around those kind of people. Are you tracking with me, everybody? In Judges chapter 6, some of you are with people who see everything that way. And that's bad for you. That's why you need to be at C101 tonight. you got to decide. And we help you do the due diligence and unpack things for you. Is this a family? We help people connect to God, faith, get around a spiritual family, and get around godly people. Why? Because you don't want to be around people who got Limburg cheese under their nose. All the time. Sometimes. But not all the time. Where the whole world stinks. You need people who are building you up and seeing you. And when you got your tail up over the dashboard or between your legs and you feel like you're a wimp in a wine press, they notice. And that's not built in a day. That's built over time. You can change your perspective in a day, but you can't build a safety net in a day. You need people like that in your life. Well, uh, uh, Gideon could have said to God, I thought it was just you and me we were going to do this. No, it's you and me and others. He, the verse says there in that chapter, Galatians chapter 6, we'll do this together. This is not just you and me, God. This is you, me, and others, buddy. And when you have those buddies, that's when you'll build a place. You'll worship, and you'll have an altar. The Lord is peace. Now you're content. Now you're whole. Now you'll have peace in the inside. That's what happens. Would you stand on your feet? Let me pray for you. <laughs> I could preach for another hour. <laughs> Listen, when the devil tries to rub your past mistakes in your face, you know, and when the devil tries to tell you that you're a wimp in a wine press, and when he asks you, do you think you're forgiven? Do you think you can really overlook that stuff that's happened in your past? You just say, my daddy thinks I am. If he says, do you think you can overcome those trials? Do you really, the devil says, do you think you really can overcome this insecurity? Do you really, my daddy thinks I can. When you, when you say, you, you really feel this way about me? My daddy really does think that way about me. What my daddy says is true. I don't live by what I see. I live by what he says. Amen? Let's pray. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads and give everybody an opportunity that's here in this room to just connect with God, maybe in a little bit more personal way. To truly eradicate insecurity in your life, it first starts by connecting with the one who establishes our identity, and that's Jesus Christ. Your relationships 
on a horizontal level are all fundamentally based on how successful and how connected you are on a vertical level with God. He knows you better than you know yourself. And so if you don't know him, I don't mean intellectually know about him, but you know him. I'm, I'm not talking about just reading from a book or saying his name at the end of a, 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 a prayer at mealtime, but you have a personal relation with him. You want to be sure you have that before you go out today? You've never done that? This is a safe place for you to do that between me and you and God right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you down front, but I am going to ask you to boldly raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to know Jesus personally. I don't want to leave today. If that's you, would you raise your hand good and high? God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So anybody else I'm missing in the middle? Over. I see your hand way over there. God bless you. Yeah, all the way at the back, I see your hand. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Praise God. That's so awesome. It's the most important decision you can make in your life. You may not realize that right now, but you will one day. Everything in life flows from identity in Christ. Now, would you just pray this with me in church? Would you join these people who prayed? Pray this. This prayer won't save you. Believe in your heart will. I don't mean like believe, just believe. I mean full assurance in what he says about you is true. Accepting that by faith. Say, Jesus, your word says you can make me a new creation. My old life is gone and I can become a new person. I have a new identity that's based on my relationship with you. It's not based on what I do. It's based on who I know. And I've come of my own free will to know you. Come into my life right now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you seal that prayer for every person that sincerely prayed that, God. Would you root that deep within their heart? Would you instruct them, Lord Jesus, to get around the right people so that they can ask questions and kind of navigate those different places in, in their journey of faith, Lord Jesus, comfortably and safely, Lord. But I pray you protect the seed that's been planted today and nothing get in the way of it growing and germinating and just flourishing in their life. May they be fruitful. May they be fruitful, God. I pray for anyone and everyone who struggles with insecurity, Lord Jesus. I pray the truth that they know right now has set them free and they're never the same. Never, never, never the same because their daddy says they're not the same because their daddy says something about them that's true and that's all that matters my daddy says this my daddy says that and that's enough for me in jesus name and everybody said amen and come on give the lord a big hand clap all the